Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. Let's pray together. Gracious God, in your presence today, we confess that you are truth. The truth can only be found in you. We pray today, God, asking that you would ground our lives on your truth. We pray, God, asking that you would guide us into living and believing truthfully. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Satan has been suggesting that it's all a matter of perspective since the beginning. In the beginning, after creating heaven and earth, Satan, after God, after God created heaven and earth, Satan rebelled against God. God put that rebellion down and cast Satan out of heaven into a place of, of judgment and of darkness. But there, Satan and his minions, his, his demons, found their way into creation. Satan found his way into creation, into the Garden of Eden, in the form of a serpent. And the Bible calls that serpent the crafty serpent. And that crafty serpent suggested things. For instance, the crafty serpent suggested that God's goodness is all just a matter of perspective. In Genesis chapter 3, we read in verse 1 that the crafty serpent said to the first human beings, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? See, God never said that. But Satan is trying to place a doubt in the minds of the first human beings. He's trying to create in their minds the impression that God has given them a world of scarcity. He's trying to get them to question God's goodness. He is suggesting God's goodness is not absolute. It's all just a matter of perspective. Then Satan seeks to introduced the thought that God's judgment is all just a matter of perspective as well. Having heard the first lie, the woman responded, no, God didn't say that. God told us that we could eat from any tree in the garden. She said, God just told us that there was one tree that we could not eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She said, God told us that if we eat from that tree, we will die. The woman was standing up and protecting and, and, and advocating for the goodness of God. But then she added, God told us that if we touch the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we'll die. God never said that. Satan's attempt to cause her to doubt the goodness of God had already done damage. And at this point, Satan pounced on the opening to question God's very judgment as well. Satan adds, you will not surely die. Satan was suggesting that God's judgment is actually not absolute either. Satan was suggesting 
God's judgment is all just a matter of perspective. More damage was done. And then the enemy suggested that God's very motivation itself is just a matter of perspective. In verse 5, Satan brought this thought in. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so Satan is suggesting that rather than being motivated by giving to the first human beings and providing for them, God was holding back from them, that God was afraid that if they did something, they would get something that belonged to God, and God wanted to keep all of the best for himself. Again, the damage was done. Satan is suggesting that God's goodness, his judgment, and his motivation is all just a matter of perspective. Now, it turns out that this lie that Satan has told is a particularly dangerous lie. This lie is the one that led the first human beings into sin, and it's dangerous beyond that. Because this lie is is in opposition to the whole idea that there is any objective truth. This lie pushes back against the thought that God would be the one who determines objective truth, and it pushes back against the very thought that God would reveal or make known to us that objective truth. In its place, in its place, Satan is suggesting that truth is subjective. Truth is something that we create ourselves. And that lie is very dangerous because it becomes the fertile ground from which all other kinds of lies spring. In fact, it's the very weed that Satan planted in the Garden of Eden that has ensnared humanity since then. And so we ask today when it comes to the lie, it's all a matter of perspective. How can we protect ourselves from it? How do we recognize it? And what do we do in response In John chapter 8, Jesus ran into multiple, actually, wrong perspectives. In John chapter 8, verses 39 through 44, we find some of these wrong perspectives being shared. Let me remind you of these verses again. John chapter 8, verse 39 begins, they, that is the crowd, answered him, which is Jesus. They said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
Now, as Jesus was dealing this crowd, with this crowd, he had already run into them having the wrong perspective on truth and freedom. Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, and he went in and around the temple to teach during this period of time. And as he taught, members of the religious establishment infiltrated the crowd, and it was fascinating because there were people in the crowd who were becoming disciples of Jesus, listening to what he said, liking what he said, and beginning to put their faith in him. And so Jesus begins to respond to these people putting their faith in him, tries to explain what it means exactly. And in John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that's when the members of the crowd began to push back. Jesus had said that through him they could get truth, but they said, we have truth. What do you mean, get truth? We have truth. They believed that their traditions would show them the truth of God's law and how to live it out. But Jesus knew they didn't know the truth because the truth would point them to Jesus, and their truth did not point them to Jesus. He knew there was no truth in them. They professed to be free, but Jesus knew the truth. They weren't free. They were slaves to sin. And because of the sin of their people, they had become enslaved as judgment. They had been enslaved to multiple nations throughout their history and were then in slavery to the Romans. So Jesus knew they had the wrong perspective on truth and freedom. Jesus knew as well that they had the wrong perspective on who their father was. They said, we are children of Abraham. That means we are biologically descended from the patriarch Abraham. But Jesus explained to them, if you were descended from the patriarch Abraham, you would have the family resemblance. And the family resemblance would be that Abraham was a person of faith. You would be a person of faith. And if you were a person of faith, that would point you to love, to follow, to obey me. And that's not what's happening. Abraham is not your father. The wrong perspective on who their father was. They even had a wrong perspective on how to connect with God. They said, we are able to connect with God because we are biologically descended from Abraham and because our traditions help us to connect with God, to which Jesus responded, it's not biology that connects you to God. You don't connect to God because you're from the right family. That's not how it happens. And Jesus said, you don't connect with God because you follow the right traditions. It's not tradition that connects you to God. Jesus said, you connect with God when you have loving faith in me that turns into loving obedience. Faith in Jesus Christ that turns into loving obedience to him is the only way to connect with God. And so Jesus pointed out they had the wrong perspective on how to connect with God. They had the wrong perspective on truth and freedom. They had the wrong perspective on who their father was. They had the wrong perspective on how to connect with God. And as Jesus looked at all these wrong perspectives, it showed him who their true father was. They had one wrong perspective after another. 
And instead of abandoning those wrong perspectives, they said, that's my perspective. It's all a matter of perspective. This is my perspective, and I stand on my perspective. But as Jesus recognized the number of perspectives that weren't just theirs, but wrong, he knew that behind all these wrong perspectives, behind all these lies, had to be the one who was the origin of all lies. He said, behind all these lies you believe, these wrong perspectives, is the father of lies, Satan himself. Because as it turns out, the statement, it's all a matter of perspective, it's not true. Some things are not a matter of perspective. And yet, as we think about it, we recognize that the idea that it's all a matter of perspective is widespread in our culture. We need to deal with that truth today. The idea that it's all a matter of perspective is widespread in our culture. Now, let's be blunt. There are some things that are simply a matter of perspective, right? Like avocados. Some people are passionate lovers of avocados and of guacamole. For most of my life, as I looked at avocados and thought about guacamole, I struggled to restrain my gag reflex. <laughs> Different perspectives on avocados and guacamole. I had the opportunity to serve at a food kitchen one time, and the meal that was being provided that time when I was serving was provided by a local taco restaurant that everybody loved. Everyone was excited about this meal. And in an ironic twist, I was placed at the guacamole station. And so as I'm standing at this guacamole station, restraining my own gag reflex, I saw in front of me these two perspectives on avocados. Some people would come through the line, see what was in my tray, and respond angrily to me that it was there. It's not my fault there's guacamole in front of you. And other people would come through the line and want me to dish as much as I could onto their plates because they love guacamole. There's two perspectives on avocados and guacamole. And I'm here to tell you that several years ago, for the first time in my life, I tried guacamole and discovered that, no, avocados really are amazing. There are two perspectives on avocados. It's just a matter of perspective when it comes to avocados. The 19th century philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche realized that the concept that it's all a matter of perspective was spreading in his day. He actually embraced the concept that it's all a matter of perspective. But at the same time, Nietzsche realized that the idea that it's a matter of perspective would create a problem for society. Frederick Nietzsche, in, in thinking through the results of the Enlightenment in the 19th century, on the back end of the Enlightenment, proclaimed famously that God is dead. Now, what he meant by that is not that God did not exist, nor did he mean that humanity had murdered God. 
What he meant is that on the tail end of the Enlightenment, most people had abandoned a traditional belief in God, particularly uh, thinkers and philosophers and, and scientists. And so, what Nietzsche realized is that when you abandon the concept that, that your faith is important, it no longer informs how you live your life and construct your society. And Nietzsche recognized in that that there could be a problem. If people didn't believe in God and therefore did not build life and society on God, how would they choose how to live? How would they choose how to organize society? Nietzsche feared that if this idea spread far enough and fast enough, it could lead to chaos in society. Rather than recognizing the flaw in his thinking, though, Nietzsche made a proposed solution. He proposed something he called the ubermensch, or the superman. And he said the ubermensch is the one who rejects any outside attempt to shape our own values, our own thoughts, our ideas of what is true and false, our ideas of what is right and wrong. Instead, the ubermensch looks inside for their own values and for their own purpose in life and then boldly lives out that purpose. That was Nietzsche's solution to the idea that it's all a matter of perspective. But since Nietzsche's time, the concept that it's all a matter of perspective has just spread in our society and become adopted by more and more people in society. The idea has grown and developed and reached out to the corners of our society. And now, in the 21st century, we discover that judgments about right and wrong are made on a very thin basis. You see, most people in our society reject the notion that there is an absolute right and wrong. And yet, at the same time, most people in our society have an internal sense that there are indeed some things that are right and some things that are wrong. And in looking inside and saying, I, I think this is right and I think this is wrong, they conclude that when everyone else looks inside, if they look inside honestly, they'll see I'm right, that I have rightly called what is right and I have rightly identified what is wrong. And so when we look at one another without assumption, what we discover is quite the opposite. When I look inside to determine what is right and wrong, and I look at you, I realize you don't think the same way that I do. And so we find in our society there is very little agreement and a very thin basis for determining what is right and what is wrong. This concept that it's all a matter of perspective has actually spread to us as disciples. And there are times when we consciously or unconsciously begin to believe that right and wrong, true and false, is all just a matter of perspective. I want to talk to you for just a minute about four things that are going to identify that you have adopted the idea that it's all a matter of perspective. This is how you'll know you've done it yourself. The first is that you will ignore the Bible. When making a statement about what you believe to be right or wrong, you're not going to base it on the Scriptures. 
And even more commonly, you will not reference passages that tend to disagree with what you think is right and wrong. So the first thing we do is ignore the Bible, and it shows we've accepted the idea that it's all a matter of perspective. The second thing that we do is we will actually at times argue with the Bible, and that means that even we as disciples of Jesus will at times disagree with what the Bible says. We'll say, well, that was true back then, but it doesn't hold true now. We will actually at times argue with the Bible. More commonly, though, we are actually going to squeeze the Bible in order to make it say what it is that we want it to say. We'll have an idea ourselves about what is right and wrong, and we'll come up against something in the Scripture that seems problematic, maybe even disagrees with us. Instead of adjusting our thoughts, we try to find an interpretation of that passage that helps us to keep thinking what we thought before about what's right and wrong. This is a particularly dangerous tendency that we have to look for in ourselves because we still believe that we're being biblical. The fourth thing that we'll do that shows that we really have accepted this perspective is we'll shout what we think is the Bible's message. Now, when we feel that we are on thin ground for making a moral judgment about what's right and wrong, you would think that we would begin to be humbly quiet and to listen before we speak. But the fact of the matter is, when we think that we are on thin ice making a moral judgment, what we tend to do instead is get louder, hoping we can convince other people of our position. So we ignore, argue, squeeze, and shout when we have actually begun to accept the idea that it's all a matter of perspective. The idea that it's all a matter of perspective is a lie. We need to think clearly about this topic today. The idea that it's all a matter of perspective is a lie. And Deborah Yakubu really points this out. Deborah Yakubu was a student in a school in northwestern Nigeria. She joined a WhatsApp conversation group with other students trying to make their way through this school. She was having a difficult time in class, and so she would post about that on WhatsApp from time to time. Other students in the class would post about their faith. They were non-Christians, and they would post about their non-Christian faith. And so after passing a test that she had struggled with, Deborah Yakubu posted, praise to Jesus because Jesus helped me to pass this test. Her post offended the non-Christians in her WhatsApp discussion group. And the non-Christians in her discussion group began threatening her, threatening her life because of what she had said. They accused her of blasphemy. Officials at the school realized that she was in danger and were evacuating her from the school on an emergency basis. As they were taking her away from the school, though, to safety, men came up, they grabbed her, they began beating her, they stoned her to death, and after killing her, they burned her body. This happened last year. This happened last year. Killing her was wrong. And killing her is evil. And I know that there are people who will say that killing her being evil is all just a matter of perspective. 
From another person's perspective, killing her was, was right and good. But it is never right and good to kill a person for expressing faith in Jesus Christ. That's wrong. That's evil. And if anything is absolutely wrong or absolutely evil, then the statement that truth is subjective, moral truth is subjective, the statement that moral truth is subjective is a lie. If anything is absolutely wrong, absolutely evil, then the statement that moral truth is subjective is a lie. What then are we to say about truth and moral truth? I want to suggest to you three things today. The first is that objective moral truth exists. We are not the ones who determine what is right and wrong. There is a standard that exists of what is right and wrong, and that standard is not inside of us. That standard exists outside of us, and we are held to a standard of what is true and false, what is right and what is wrong. The second thing that we want to say about objective moral truth is that it is determined by God. God is that standard. God is holy and righteous, and just. And anything that is in keeping with God's holiness and righteousness and justice is right. And anything that violates God's holiness, righteousness, and justice is wrong. And God's very person then becomes the standard for knowing what is holy, righteous, and just. God's very person becomes the standard for rightness. And God's will expressed becomes our way of determining what is true and false and what is right and what is wrong. Objective moral truth is determined by God. And that leads us to the third thought, and that is that objective moral truth is revealed to us reliably in the Bible. You see, objective truth and objective moral truth are not hidden from us. God doesn't keep them from us. God tells us what objective moral truth is. God reveals to us in the Bible what objective moral truth looks like. God tells us in the law, in the Old Testament, what objective moral truth looks like. It's written down there. And then we look at the life of Jesus, and in the life of Jesus, we see what objective moral truth looks like. Jesus does what is right. Jesus avoids what is wrong, and Jesus confronts what is wrong. And so objective moral truth exists. It's determined by God, and it is revealed to us reliably in the Bible. So that leaves us with an important question, and that question is, what are we to do? And there's three things that I want to suggest to you today that we are to do. The first thing is to repent, because objective moral truth means that we need a Savior. You see, even as followers of Jesus, we have let the notion that there is objective truth and objective moral truth slip through our fingers, and we have at times ourselves believed the notion that it's all just a matter of perspective. We need a Savior. 
And the fact that objective moral truth reminds us that God's holiness and righteousness and justice are the standards that we are held to, and we have violated that standard. We've done what is wrong. We've done what is evil. We've sinned, and we've disobeyed God. And the Bible tells us that when we violate objective moral truth, there are consequences. We have consequences coming to us, so we need a Savior because we stand under the consequences of God's judgment. We need to repent. But the second thing is that we believe. We believe that we have a Savior and grace. You see, Jesus took on the full weight of our sin, our disobedience, and our evil, and he died on the cross to pay the price for all the ways that we have released and violated objective moral truth. Because of that, we have the opportunity to be forgiven. We have the opportunity to experience God's grace. We recognize that once we accept forgiveness and God's grace, we want to live for him. We want to live out objective moral truth. We want to get it all right. We want to consistently think the right things and do the right things. But the truth of the matter is, we're never going to fully live up to objective moral truth. We're never consistently going to think the right things and do the right things. But grace means we don't have to. We're not forgiven because we've gotten everything perfect. We don't get grace because we believe all of the right things about what's true and false and right and wrong. We are forgiven because of grace. We are loved because God has simply chosen to love us. You don't have to get it right every time. You don't have to be right every time. Doesn't that feel amazing? Wouldn't you love to experience forgiveness? Wouldn't you love to experience grace. Wouldn't you love to have the burden of perfection lifted from your shoulders and placed onto Jesus' shoulders? We have a Savior and grace. The third thing we do is follow, and we embrace the objective moral truth revealed in God's Word. Now, it is simply true that we as disciples of Jesus should never be the ones going around proclaiming that truth is subjective. We should never be the ones who are saying about truth and moral truth that it's just all a matter of perspective. Rather, we celebrate the fact that truth is revealed to us in Jesus Christ and objective moral truth is given to us by God. And we receive that truth we embrace that truth. We hold to that truth. And to the best of our abilities, we live according to that truth. We follow. We follow and embrace the notion of objective moral truth. We repent, we believe, and we follow. Please understand that everything that we're talking about is part of a much bigger struggle. You see, we think that we are set by temptations, individual things that come at us day by day, often lobbed into our lives by other people or by circumstances. But here's the truth. There are some lies and some temptations that 
are built into the very fabric of society. There are things that we believe as a society that are held so commonly that they become proverbs. And these proverbs lead people to organize their lives and society in a specific way. And we come under pressure to live our lives and to believe these proverbs. Perhaps the most dangerous of them all is the notion it's all a matter of perspective. Behind these society-level lies is Satan himself, the father of lies, who's been spinning a web of deceit for us since the beginning. This is his first lie. It's all a matter of perspective. And so behind this lie is everything that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about that reality and how to fight back against that. But for this week, what we're praying is, God, would you protect us from the lie that it's all a matter of perspective? And would you help us to embrace objective moral truth? Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon Podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.